Good morning. You all can have a seat. My name is Andy. I'm one of the pastors here, and welcome to uh, Lakeview Church. Thank you for coming to worship with us on this cold Sunday morning, and uh, just welcome all of you who are tuning in online, uh, including uh, give a welcome to our, our uh, friends at the Robert E. Ellsworth Correctional Center. We're glad that you can tune in. And uh, let me just let you know we're praying for you, uh, and if you would like specific prayer requests, you can always write to our church, uh, 2200 uh, Lincoln Avenue here in Stoughton, Wisconsin, 53589. So uh, you can write. We will match you up with a prayer partner. We'll pray for your needs, and uh, we are glad to be able to serve you in that way. Uh, if you'll grab your Bible and find 2 Kings chapter 12, um, while you're doing that, let me just give a couple of quick uh, announcements. Uh, Lakeview is changing email providers. We're moving to a more private and secure email service, and so that comes along with a domain name change. And if you're like, what is a domain name change? Basically, that means we get new email addresses. So uh, our, my, e- my new email will be andy at lakeviewfree.org. Uh, Josh's will be Josh at lakeviewfree.org. Stephanie's will be Stephanie at lakeviewfree.org. And Tara's will be Tara at lakeviewfree.org. And so it's just a a switch we're making. And uh, somebody said, why did you choose lakeviewfree.org? Well, if if something is fat-free, it means it has no fat. If it's, uh, it's uh, sodium-free, it means it has no sodium. If it's lakeview-free, it means it has no view of the lake. (laughs) <laughs> right, so you have to go up on the roof and get out your binoculars and look on a clear day and you can kind of see the sun sparkling off the water. No, um, it's just something we're doing and so just wanted to make you aware of that. Uh, if you email our old email addresses, it will forward on for a, a couple of months here but uh, let you know that we're making that change. Also, um, if, you did, if you haven't uh, up downloaded the Lakeview app since January, we made some uh, improvements to the app in January in an effort to help us stay connected in COVID world. Um, and so it's harder to, to connect relationally and uh, some people are not super comfortable with social media sites like Facebook or Instagram or Twitter as a places to connect and uh, I'm one of those people. And so what we've done is we've taken something that's kind of like the Facebook Messenger app only we've put it into the Lakeview app. We don't collect your data. We don't sell your information. It's private. It's secure. Uh, we're not data mining or storing profiles or anything like that. And so I would encourage you, um, you can message people there and uh, connect and stay connected that way. It's uh, free of charge. And so if you would like to, to download that, it's a great opportunity to stay connected in, in COVID world. So um, now, if you've been paying attention the last few weeks, we know, you know we've been going through the book of Acts, and so you may wonder why I said find in your Bibles 2 Kings chapter 12. Uh, it's because we're stepping out of the book of Acts for one week. Uh, this is uh, the, the first Sunday in February. We like to do what I call a state of the church message, um, or uh, some churches call it a vision Sunday. It is the, where we present the direction that God is calling us to walk uh, in this next season. Uh, sometimes it's a year, sometimes it's more, but it's the direction, it's God's vision for us as a church. And so the message this morning will be a little bit different than what we normally do. Um, I recently was, uh, ran across this quote by Mark Knoll, who is a church Christian historian, um, and he said this, up, up to the early 1700s, pastors preached on God's plan for the church. But from the mid-1700s on, evangelicals have emphasized God's plan for the individual. 
So there was a shift in our thinking somewhere around the the early to mid 1700s away from being part of a community of faith that is pursuing Christ together and changing the world for the gospel. Uh, We've shifted sort of away from that to more of an individualistic approach to our faith. Uh, You might put it like this. For the first uh, roughly 1,700 years of Christianity, uh, being part of a church meant belonging to a community of faith that's pursuing Christ together. But for the last 300 years or so, following Christ has really kind of changed into sort of a a spiritual self-help program. Right, And so we've kind of shifted in our thinking away from being a community of faith and more in line with uh, my goal in life is to become everything that I can be. So I want, to, I want to become all that I can be at work. So I'm climbing the corporate ladder, the career ladder. I'm getting to the highest rung that I can. I want to be all that I can be and achieve my full potential uh, intellectually. So I'm going to school and I'm getting a dis- this degree or that degree or whatever. I want to achieve everything that I can achieve at, at at home or, or uh, in my hobbies or, or whatever it might be. And somewhere along the line, Jesus can come in and sort of help me on the spiritual side of things become all that I can be. It's, it's Jesus' death on the crosses so that I can achieve my highest potential. And, and that's not really why Jesus died on the cross. He died to save us from sin and to restore us into relationship with God the Father. Uh, but we've sort of switched in our thinking uh, from being part of a community of faith, a family that is on mission for Christ together, into what's in this for me and what am I going to get out of it. So uh, the, the message this morning will be a little bit different. It's not necessarily for me individually, it is for us collectively, together. What is God calling our church this body of Christ, this family of Jesus, what is he calling us to do together in this next season? Every year, uh, the elders have an annual elder retreat. And we spend about half the day, it's an all-day Saturday retreat, we spend about half the day praying for all of our members church members by name. So we call all the members and we get your prayer requests and then we spend about half a day and we pray through the entire list all by name and pray for your prayer requests. And that's a a wonderful thing that we're able to do every year. Uh, It's very meaningful to the elders. We spend the other half of the day um, discussing and praying and talking about where God is leading us as a congregation. What is God's calling on us collectively in this next season? And every year that we do this, um, a couple of months before the elder retreat, I send out the, uh, these prayer prompts to the elders and I say, please take a few minutes every day for the next couple of months and pray through these prayer prompts. And then we'll come together at the elder meeting and, and you can share what God's put on your heart and I can share what God's put on my heart through our time in prayer in the last two months. And as we discuss, we begin to see the direction that God's calling us as a church. So uh, I, I share this with you because I'm excited about how God spoke so clearly this particular year. Um, as we were doing that, I sent out the prayer requests uh, in the fall and within a couple of days, of praying through those prayer requests, God led me to 2 Kings chapter 12. And he spoke really clear and it was very challenging and convicting to me in my quiet time that morning. Um, And so sometimes when God speaks to me, I'm not sure if it's his word for me or if it's his word for us. 
And so I said, okay, Lord, if this is the direction that you want Lakeview Church to move in this year, uh, I'm asking you to confirm it at the elder retreat, to speak this same word to other elders. And and so, you know, 2 Kings chapter 12 and and Joash, who's relatively unknown, uh, one of the kings of Israel from the Old Testament. So I uh, prayed about this. We prayed it through a couple of months. I didn't share with the elders that I thought God had, had put this on my heart and potentially it was for the church or not. Um, didn't say anything at all. I wanted to see if, if they would come up with the same uh, direction from the Lord. So we get to the elder retreat and we're talking through the questions and we're talking through and we're praying and we're, we're saying, you know, what's God put on your heart? What's God put on your heart? And different elders are sharing different things. And then uh, we came around to Wayne Hanson, the chairman of our elders, and he said, you know, um, I do feel like God's given me something, but I'm, I'm a little uncomfortable sharing it because it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. I don't really know if it's for me or if it's for the church, uh, but God led me to this relatively obscure passage in the Old Testament, 2 Kings chapter 12, and this uh, relatively unknown king named Joash. And he's like, I don't really know how this aligns. And I said, well, I do, because <laughs> God brought me to 2 Kings chapter 12 and Joash. And the part of the story that God had uh, put, really, that stood out to Wayne was 2 Kings chapter 12, verse 6, where it says, uh, but by the 23rd year of King Joash, the priests still had not repaired the temple. And Wayne said, you know, there, there's damage that was done, and it wasn't repaired. And for some reason, that just really uh, rung out in my heart. And so we were talking through that at the Elder Retreat in 2 Kings 12 and Joash and what that looks like. And, uh, and, and while we were doing that, some of the elders' wives were also praying that same day. And uh, so I was talking with them after the retreat and I didn't share with them what the Lord had put on the, the elders' heart. And uh, one, of the, one of them said, when I was praying, God showed me a vision. I, I saw a picture in my mind of this old building, like a castle or a temple, uh, that the walls of the building had been breached and great damage had been done to the building and that damage needed to be repaired. And I thought, wow, that's really cool because that's exactly where God led Wayne. And one of the other uh, wives who was praying said, when I was praying, I, I got the sense that the reason the walls on that building had been breached is because there were no watchmen to stand in the gap That also stood out because at the elder retreat, another one of our elders, Gary Cook, had felt like God brought him to Ezekiel 22.30, which says, uh, this is God speaking, I looked for a man from among them who would repair the wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land, but I found no one. So God had given that word to Gary and he had given it to one of the elders' wives separately, the same idea. And so uh, as we were talking about this and as we were putting all these pieces together, what we, we believe God is calling us collectively to in the next season of Lakeview Church, if you're gonna put it in a, a little slogan, would be this. Remove the high places, repair the damage, and restore the watchmen. Now, uh, of those three things, repairing the damage and restoring the watchmen, I believe is really more directed toward the elders specifically and what God is calling us to do and how we are caring for his flock of Lakeview Church. Uh, And what is really applicable to all of us together is that first piece, removing the high places. And so I wanna talk a little bit about that this, uh, this morning 
And uh, at the risk of setting up an expectation that I can't deliver on, I will say this. I have felt heavy in my heart all week about this message. It's not a super easy message to preach, even though it's very clear God is calling us in this direction. Um, And I honestly think that this is one of the most important messages that we will have all year. This This is one of the most important lessons that God has for us to learn this year, maybe in our lives following Christ, but certainly I think this is one of the most important things that the Lord wants to speak to us this year, and so um, we need to be open to hearing what he says. Let me pray. Father, would you, uh, through your Holy Spirit, prepare our hearts as you were moving so tenderly and sweetly in the music. Uh, I pray that the, f- the soil in our hearts would be fertile ground for your spirit to plant a seed there that would grow and produce fruit in our lives, would you speak clearly through your word, in Jesus' name, amen. So we're gonna focus really on removing the high places and what that means. Let's look at uh, first, Second Kings uh, chapter 12, verse one. In the seventh year of Jehu, Joash became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 40 years. Let me pause just for a moment. At this point in Israel's history, they had split. They were no longer one nation. They had split into a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. One of the kingdom's name was Israel and the other kingdom's name was Judah. And the capital city of Jerusalem was in Judah. But they had two kings, two separate things, and so uh, um, Joash was a king in the southern kingdom in Judah. He reigned in Jerusalem 40 years. His mother's name was Zibiah and she was from Beersheba. Joash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord all the years of Jehoiada the priest instructed him. The high places, however, were not removed. The people continued to offer sacrifices and burn incense there. Let's pause just for a moment. What are high places? What is this? If you read through First and Second Kings, you notice that it mentions the high places a lot. These high places were, were places where the Israelites worshipped other gods, Most of the time they were on high hills and a lot of times in the Old Testament you see the high places and also mentioned in conjunction with them are Asherah poles. Asherah was a a goddess, a Canaanite goddess. And so the Israelites would go and they would put up these shrines to the other gods, the Baals and 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 Asherah and these other gods and they would worship them there. Now sometimes they also worshiped the God of Israel on the high places, but God had been very clear and said, you should only worship me in the temple. God doesn't want to be mixed up with these other false gods. And so he said, no, you can't come to God on your own terms. You come to God on God's terms and God says to worship in the temple. And you see in 1 and 2 Kings, these high places really become something of a litmus test. Testing the faithfulness of the kings of Israel. Some kings, like Hezekiah, tear the high places down. Other kings, like Manasseh, rebuild them. And some kings ignore them. Some kings, like Joash, try to do what's right. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, but the high places were never removed. He left them in place. So right here, at the very beginning of Joash's story, There's a signal, a clue, that Joash wasn't fully committed to God. The high places are a symbol of divided loyalty. 
Yes, he wanted God in his life. He wanted the blessings of God in the nation of Israel, but he didn't want to give up his own stuff in order to get God. He wanted God and what the world had to offer. And he thought that he could hold on to both of them together. So he does go on and do some good things, but we see right from the beginning of the story that he's not fully committed to God. Now, as Joash becomes king and as he is reigning and ruling, he decides to repair the temple. By this point in time, the temple was about 150 years old and it needed uh, repair. So he tells the priests to collect all the money that comes into the temple, all the offerings and everything like that, and use it to repair the temple. But verse 6 says, by the 23rd year of King Joash, the, the priests still had not repaired the temple. If you read the story closely, it's probably that the priests were embezzling the money and not doing their job. But Joash finds this out and he's not happy about it. He has a, a powwow with the, the high priest and, and the other priests and he says, look, you guys need to stop doing that. He brings all kinds of reform to how money was collected and counted in the temple and the priests agree that, that they'll stop taking all the money and that they won't uh, repair the temple themselves. They'll, they'll hire it out and everything is, is going really well. Money is being collected in, with integrity. It's being distributed with integrity. They buy timber, they buy dress stone, the contractors are doing their job and they're doing it honestly and everybody's happy and the temple is being repaired and restored and rebuilt and everything is going really well and it looks like God is going to land again in Israel and once again Israel will do what God has called them to do. But then in verse 17, Joash's faith is tested and so often like it does for us, When faith is tested, it reveals our true commitment. It shows where our true loyalties lie. Look at verse 17. About this time, Hazael, king of Aram, went up and attacked Gath and captured it. Then he turned to attack Jerusalem. But Joash, king of Judah, took all the sacred objects dedicated by his predecessors, Jehoshaphat, Jehoram, and Ahaziah, the kings of Judah, and the gifts he himself had dedicated, and all the gold found in the treasuries of the temple of the Lord and of the royal palace. And he sent them to Hazael, king of Aram, who then withdrew from Jerusalem. This is really sad. Joash wasn't fully committed to the Lord. He left the high places. And when his faith was tested, it reveals that he didn't fully trust the Lord either. He didn't believe that God would protect his city and his people and his temple. So what did he do? He took matters into his own hands. He went and took everything out of the temple, all of the gold and all of the precious things in the temple, and he paid off Hazael. Everything that Joash had dedicated his life to doing, His one crowning achievement in life was repairing the temple and restoring the proper worship of God. But all of it was lost when his faith was tested and it broke because he never was all in with God from the very beginning. The testing of his faith revealed his true colors and everything that he had worked for in his life was lost. And this is the end of Joash's life. Verse 19, as for the other events of the reign of Joash and all he did, are they not written in the book of the annals of the king of, kings of Judah? 
His officials conspired against him and assassinated him at Beth Milo on the road down to Silla. The officials who murdered him were Josaphat, son of Shimeath, and Jehoshaphat, son of Shomer. He died and was buried with his ancestors in the city of David, and Amaziah, his son, succeeded him as king. What a sad end to his story. He started out so well. He was rebuilding and repairing and restoring the temple of God and the proper worship of God in the nation of Israel. And this could have been the moment in which God raised them up to accomplish the mission that he gave them. But it failed because their king was not fully committed to God. You might say, why did God lead us to 2 Kings 12 in this rather sad story as what he's calling us to consider and, and meditate on and pursue this year? I think it's because of this, and this is the big idea from the story. You can't live for yourself and live for God. It doesn't work. You can't have your life and have Christ's life in you at the same time. You can't hold on to both the world and to God. Joash failed to remove the high high places. He lacked complete commitment to the Lord. He wanted God's blessing in his life without giving up his sinful practices. He wanted God's blessing in his life while he still continued to live his own way, to live for himself. Joash had one foot in the temple and one foot in the high places. He was holding on to the world with one hand and God with the other. But that doesn't work for very long. I want to ask a couple of my boys to come up and demonstrate how this looks. This is Jack and Elliot. So you can imagine, here's the world, here's God. Joe Ash is trying to hold on to both of them. But you can't hold on to both for very long because God and the world are moving in opposite directions. And before long, you get stretched really thin. And you can't do it. You lose your grip. So what do we do? Well, we hold on to God for a little while. But then the world looks really alluring. So we run over here and we hold on to the world for a little while. But then we realize that God's blessing is not in our life. So we run back over here. We hold on to God for a little while. But then we start missing our old life. We start reminiscing about the way things. So we run back over here and we hold on to the world for a while. And and then we realize that God's not in our life. So we run back over here and we hold on to God for a little while. And and then the things in the world start drawing us in. And the temptations start to pull on us. So we run back over here and we hold on to the world. And then we run back over here and we hold on to God. And we run back over here. We hold on to the world. And we run back over here. and, And before you know it, we collapse. Because that's not how we're meant to live. You can't hold on to both the world and Christ. What we need to do is let go of the world so that we can cling to Christ with both hands. You guys can go have a seat. Thank you. You can't cling to the world and cling to God. You can't keep your life and have new life in Christ. You can't live for yourself and live for Jesus. Jesus said that in Luke chapter nine, verse 23, whoever wants to be my disciple 
must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. Joash tried to keep a hold of his life. His heart was divided. He didn't remove the high places. He didn't fully trust God. And eventually, it cost him everything. Two years ago, when the elders came together and we asked the Lord, what do you have for us? He said this, Jesus wasn't cool. He was crucified. And his calling for us was to be crucified with Christ. He gave us Galatians 2.20, which is up here on our wall. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. His calling was to put to death the sinful, selfish desires of our flesh, to crucify anything in our hearts that competes with Christ for our affection, so that we no longer live, but Christ lives in us. Last year, the elders had our retreat and we came to the Lord and we said, okay, what do you have for us next? And God said, finish what you started. I told you to be crucified with Christ and I want you to finish that process. There are still places in your heart that have not been surrendered to me. But God also promised that he would help us finish that and he gave us the verse Philippians 1.6 being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. A few weeks ago, when the elders came together and we said, okay, Lord, what do you have next for us? He said, remove the high places. If we want to finish what we started and be crucified with Christ, we need to remove the high places, the areas in our lives and in our hearts and in our church collectively where our loyalty is divided, where we're trying to hold on to the world and hold on to God, where we're trying to live for ourselves and live for God, and it doesn't work. 2 Kings 2.3, Joash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. The high places, however, were not removed. This is the direction God is leading us. This is what he is calling us to do. Stephanie sent me this picture this week. I know the screen's kind of washed out. We're getting new projectors. Uh, but it's a tombstone, and written on the tombstone, it says, self. If I could think of a picture that would define in a single photograph God's calling on us for this next season, that would be the picture. A picture is worth a thousand words. I should have just showed you that picture and, and saved all our time. <laughs> God is calling us to put ourself to death. If there's a high place that is the highest of all high places in our lives, for many of us, it is the, the high place of self. Living for me. Living for my good, for my benefit. What do I get out of it? How does this improve me? And God's calling us to step away from self. 
to die to self so that Christ can live in us. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a pastor in Nazi Germany era and he was ultimately executed for resisting Hitler. He said this, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. This is our calling. God hasn't given us a new direction. He hasn't given us a new change or a new whatever. He's, he hasn't even given us a new step. He's saying, no, I want you to finish that first step of being crucified with Christ. And here's how you're going to finish it. Remove the high places, particularly the high place of self. As Jesus said, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for speaking to us through your word. Holy Spirit, I thank you for uh, confirming in many different sources, all independently. Nobody knew what everybody else was thinking. And yet you spoke so clearly, directing us to 2 Kings chapter 12, to high places in our lives, to damage in our hearts from sin. Whether it's sin that we've committed or sin that's been committed against us. To the need for shepherds to care for the souls and the hearts of your flock. You've directed us so clearly, Lord, so we want to pursue this direction that you're calling us. I pray that you would speak as we uh, close our service time, that you would speak clearly, that you would show us the high places in our lives. And you've prompted me. One of the high places that I've struggled with is the sin of gluttony. Stress eating to make myself feel better. And I just need to confess that to you in front of my church family. Lord, we will pursue this call together without judgment on one another. But would you give us the grace here to be a church, a congregation, a family where we can be open and honest about our hurts and our hangups and our addictions and our struggles and our sin and we can look at one another and say, I struggle too. I sin too. I'm not any better than you and you're not any better than me but we're in this together and we will overcome this together through the power of the Holy Spirit. Would you speak and reveal our high places in Jesus' name, amen.